At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to join us in our message series and dive deeper into what God's Word has for us today. Well, good morning, and thank you for that wonderful welcome. It's a pleasure and a delight to be here this morning with you. Alexander Sanders was the Chief Justice of the Court of uh, Appeals in South Carolina in the 1980s. He tells a story about a time when his daughter Zoe was just three years old. When he came home one day, his home was in utter chaos. Why? Because Zoe's pet turtle had died. And that little girl's tears were endless, and she was crying as if though her heart would break. And her mother had tried everything she knew how to quiet her daughter's tears, but nothing worked. But now that daddy's home, it's daddy's turn. So she happily turns Zoe over to daddy because daddy knows best, right? And there's daddy, successful lawyer, successful politician, but this seemed to be a little bit out of his league. But he tried. He first tried to convince Zoe that, you know, it's okay. We'll just go to the pet store and just buy another turtle that's just like the one that died. I mean... It doesn't that work? But, you know, Zoe was a smart three-year-old. <clears throat> she knew that a turtle wasn't a toy. <laughs> and she said, no, Dad, that's not going to work. We're not going to go to the store and find another one just like this one. So, no, that didn't help, and the tears kept coming. Desperate to find a solution, he scratched his head and came up with this solution. He said, let's have a funeral for your turtle. Now, how do you explain a funeral and the mysteries of life to a three-year-old? So here's what he came up with. A funeral is like a birthday party. We'll have cake and ice cream and lemonade and balloons, and we'll invite all the kids from the neighborhood to come and play. And that did the trick. Zoe's tears were dried in a minute, in an instant, and her smile and her, and her carefree attitude came back. And with visions of cake and ice cream in her, in her head, they stared down at the turtle that was dead at their feet, and then something amazing happened. That turtle that was dead started to move. <clears throat> and it, just a few seconds later, that turtle started crawling away as a, well, as much as a live turtle would. And here is Alex standing stunned and speechless, the first time he has been speechless in his life. But Zoe, three years old, had no such problem. She considered her options watched that turtle go by, looked up at her father with her beautiful big eyes, and with the innocence of a three-year-old, said to her father, Dad, let's kill it. <laughs> now, don't send me any emails about the morbidness of that story. That's a true story. It's a true story. Why did Zoe want to go to such extreme measures? Why? She wanted what? She wanted a party. Who doesn't like a party? That's right. We all like parties. Why? We love to have an excuse to get together and have a party, whether it's a New Year's Eve party or a Super Bowl, or, ah, excuse me, a Super Bowl party. Hey, hey, Michigan won yesterday. It's a great reason for a party. We just throw it in there too. Amen. Uh, you know, a birthday, let's throw that in there too. Yesterday or this week was uh, medical students got placed in their, in their respective hospitals, and so that's another reason for a party, right? We, we love parties. Why? We love to eat. Amen? Amen? And all the church said, Amen. 
Why do I say all of that? Well, this morning we start a new sermon series around food. (laughs) It's called Soul Food, and we're going to journey through the Gospel of Luke, looking at different opportunities that Jesus took to share a meal with people. And if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter 5, and um, we're going to look at various um, scenes where Jesus shared a meal. Tim Chester wrote a book called Meals with Jesus, and he asks us to consider this observation. Three times in the Gospels, it is said that the Son of Man came to do something. The Son of Man came too. And three times, there's an answer. The Son of Man came in Mark chapter 10, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In Luke chapter 19, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then in Luke chapter 7, the Son of Man came eating and drinking. The first two statements there are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came for the purpose of seeking and saving to ransom the lost. That's why he came. But the third statement is a statement of method. It talks about how Jesus came. And how did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. That's what we're going to look at. You see, we're going to look at sharing meals together. We're going to talk about fellowship, fellowship around a table with a meal, because when Jesus shared a meal with people, it meant something to him, and it meant something to those people he was sharing a meal with. A a shared meal, a shared table where you sit around and enjoy a meal together builds intimacy, it builds trust, and it builds friendship. These are not things that happen overnight. It's not instantaneous. It takes time. And as you gather together and you share a meal around a table, those things develop over time. And those people become friends and and acquaintances, and they become intimate with you. And that's what we're going to talk about. And so as we think about that, it it should raise a question in our minds. With whom did Jesus eat? With whom did Jesus eat? That should lead us to another question, and that is, with whom does Jesus want me to eat with? Well, we're going to find the first answer out of a handful of answers in Luke chapter 5. Are you there yet, Luke chapter 5? I really can't wait much longer. Luke chapter 5, we're good? Luke chapter 5. So the the lesson this morning, big idea, is that Jesus, following Jesus, means feasting with sinners. Following Jesus means feasting with sinners. With sinners. I want to share with you three things I learned about Jesus in this passage. It's a very short story. It's going to take me a long time to explain it. But three things that I learned about Jesus in this story. And the first is that Jesus finds sinners. Verse number 27 of Luke chapter 5. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So before we jump right into those verses, this story takes place in a large city called Capernaum, largest city around the Sea of Galilee, located on the northern, northeastern edge of the Sea of Galilee. It's the largest city in that area, and it's located uh, along a road called the Via Maris. It's a trade route that connects Syria with Egypt. And so along this trade route would be a lot of merchants who were carrying uh, goods and services up and down this road. So it's a great road full of people, full of travelers, full of business people, full of merchants. And this town, Capernaum, built around that road, prospered and thrived. And it was in this city that Jesus established his base of operations. 
And in this city, we're introduced to a man named Levi. Now, we don't know much about Levi, but we can surmise and, and maybe infer from the fact of his name that he was of the tribe of Levi. And if you know your Bibles, you know that the Levites were called out specifically by God and especially assigned to the ministry of the temple. They were called out by God from among the tribes of Israel to help the people of Israel worship God. That was their ministry. That was their calling. But for some reason, Levi doesn't follow his family's profession. He has chosen to be something different. Namely, he's chosen to be a tax collector. Now, the word tax collector doesn't ring any bells for us, but if I were to use the word or the letters IRS, would that mean anything to you? Does those three initials generate warm, fuzzy feelings in us? Oh, IRS. Right? No, it doesn't. We cringe at the thought of the IRS. We cringe at the thought of filling out our tax forms. By the way, April 15th is coming. If, if you haven't for, if you've forgotten, let me put that plug in there. But we don't have any warm fuzzies when we think of the IRS. But no matter what you think about the IRS tax collector, it pales in comparison to a tax collector for the Roman Empire. A tax collector for the Roman Empire was like an IRS married with the mafia. That's the picture. That's the idea. Tax collectors, by the way, Rome, when Rome did taxes, they used a system called tax farming. So what they would do is they would draw out the map and they would draw regions on that map and they would assess how much taxes they could collect from a region. And once they assessed that, they would put that region up for sale to the highest bidder and somebody could buy that area to collect taxes in and the only requirement for that person was at the end of the year, they owed the Roman government whatever they decided was to be the taxes for that region. Which meant that if the tax collector was able to collect more money than was required, guess what they got to do with that money? They got to put it in their pocket. So you can imagine the abuse and the extortion that went on in that kind of a system. And that's who Levi is. Levi is a tax collector. They were the most despised and hated people in the entire land. They were lumped together with thieves and prostitutes. They were hated because they had sold themselves to the enemy. They had chosen to side with the Roman Empire, which was the occupying force in the land, rather than identifying with the people. So they were considered traitors to the nation. They couldn't testify in court. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship with the people of God. They were considered outcasts. They were considered unclean. They were considered sinners. They were hated. They were the most shunned people in the society, but they were also the most, one of the most wealthiest people in the nation. That's who Levi is. And so here is Levi, the most hated person probably in Capernaum. And on this particular day, sitting in his booth, doing what he does normally, collecting taxes. By the way, the Via Maris is along the Sea of Galilee. And he would have not only collected taxes from all of the merchants that were traveling up and down that road, he would have also taxed all of the fishermen who fished in the Sea of Galilee. Which means most likely he would have known all the fishermen that were Jesus' disciples. Because every day when they got home with their catch of fish, guess who was waiting for his share of the pie? Here's Levi saying, pay up. Give me the taxes owed on that haul of fish. So there's probably a little bit of hostility between Matthew 
and Jesus' fishermen disciples because they would have known each other. And on this particular day, sitting in his tax booth doing what he does, Jesus sees him. Jesus stares intently at him and says two words to him, follow me. Now this is probably not the first time that Levi has seen Jesus. Probably not the first time he's heard Jesus. Simply because of the location of his tax booth along this Via Maris, along the Sea of Galilee, most likely Levi would have heard Jesus teach and preach. He would have maybe seen the miracles that Jesus has done. So this is not the first time that Levi has had an interaction with Jesus or at least had some kind of acquaintance with Jesus, heard Jesus, seen Jesus. But it's certainly in the Bible the first time Jesus speaks to him directly. And Jesus looks at this tax collector, this shunned, hated sinner of a man, and says to him, follow me. Now, Matt, now Levi has a, a choice, doesn't he? He can stay where he is, still raking in the income, still making a lot of money, but be shunned and continue to be shunned forever for the rest of his life, or... He can get up and follow Jesus, turn his back on all that wealth and all that career and turn around and follow Jesus. Those are his options. And what does Levi do? The Bible says that Levi got up, left that tax booth and followed Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came for sinners. Aren't you glad Jesus came for sinners? Amen. That's what Jesus does to you and me. He told us to follow Jesus. Him. And that's what we see Levi doing. He chooses to leave his livelihood behind and he chooses to leave his old life behind and follow Jesus. But what Levi did is actually quite amazing. If you just go back to the beginning of the chapter, just look back up at, Luke, at the beginning of Luke chapter 5. You see a story where Jesus calls Peter, James, and John, the three fishermen. And he tells them the same thing that he told Matthew excuse me, told Levi, follow me. And for, for Peter, James, and John, they left their nets and they followed him just like, Math, just like Levi, but there's a difference. You see, for Peter, James, and John, if this following Jesus thing didn't work out, they could always go back to fishing, couldn't they? They could always go back to their nets, go back to fishing, go back to their livelihood. Everything was already there. They could just go pick it back up and keep living. But not so with Levi. When he got up and he left that tax booth, that was a final commitment. You see, when he got up and he left that tax booth, he was turning his back on his career. He was turning his back on that money. He was turning his back on any career advancement. He was turning his back on his profession. And now that he's following Jesus, there's no ability for him to go back to that tax booth, to go back to that profession, to go back to that lifestyle. They wouldn't accept him. And so for, for Levi, there is no plan B. He's made a final commitment to turn his back on his old life and to follow Jesus. Because Jesus came for sinners. But let me also say, and you've heard me slip up and call Levi Matthew, because Matthew is the more common name by which we know this man named Levi. I believe that when Levi left his tax booth and started following Jesus, that, that Jesus gave him a new name. Do you know what the name Matthew means? It means the gift of God. Now, he wasn't a gift of God when he was a tax collector, was he? No, he wasn't. He was stealing people's gift. But you see, when he started following Jesus, Jesus didn't see him as a traitor. Jesus didn't see him as a sinner. 
Jesus, Jesus didn't see him as an outcast. When Jesus looked at him, he saw what he would turn Levi into and renamed him Matthew, a gift of God. Aren't you glad Jesus doesn't see us the way we are? That Jesus doesn't look at us and see all the sin and see all the stains and see all the mistakes and see all the gaps in our life. He sees what he's making us into. I'm so glad that when Jesus looks at me, he doesn't see me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Church, are you glad for that? Amen. Amen. That's what Jesus did. He changed Levi's name to Matthew. So here is this despised, despicable tax collector a failed Levite who had turned his back on God and turned his back on the nation and turned his back so that he could pursue money. But Jesus saw him as a person who wanted to come home and didn't know how and called him and said, follow me. And Levi left everything. Left everything that defined him and followed Jesus. Friends, our God doesn't sit far away and grudgingly let you into his presence if you can somehow find a way to manage to get into his presence. That's not the God we serve. You see, the God of the Bible isn't like that. The God of the Bible came here. He came to us. He came in flesh, in the flesh of Jesus Christ, and he came to make a way where there was never a way. He came so that you and I might have a way to God, so that we who believe in him might know God and have a relationship with God we didn't deserve. Jesus came here for us. He came here for the tax collectors. He came here for the prostitutes. He came here for us. Aren't you glad Jesus came for sinners? Jesus didn't just let Levi come into his life. Jesus came into Levi's. That brings me to my second point, and that is that Jesus feasts with sinners, and Jesus feasts with sinners. Notice verse number 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. There's an old expression, maybe you've heard it, maybe not. Good news is for, how would you fill in that blank? You don't know, do you? You're all too young. It used to be good news is for sharing. You don't believe me, do you? When your child makes the honor roll or hits a home run or wake up, wakes up before noon, you want, you want everybody to know, right? You post it on whatever social media. Don't tell me you don't do that. Come on. If you go on an amazing vacation or you lose the weight that you decided to lose weight on, what do you do? You post it. You, you Publish it. Why? Why do you do that? You want everybody else to celebrate with you, right? Am I the only one that does that? Actually, I don't even do that. But um, No, we, we do that. Why? Because good news is for? Thank you. Good news is for sharing. That's what Levi did. You see, Levi had made a very specific and decisive decision to turn his back on, an, on his old life and follow Jesus. That's a beautiful picture of repentance. He turned his back and followed Jesus. And so in order to let the world know, his world know, he throws Jesus a, a huge party. He certainly had the money. He most likely had a big house. And so he invites all of the friends that he had to come have a meal with him. And what kind of, a fr what kind of friends do you think tax collectors had? What do you think, who do you think was on the, tax, on the guest list? Other tax collectors and sinners 
and prostitutes and the other people who were shunned by society. Why? Because those are the only people and friends he could have. He couldn't have any relationship with the religious elite. He couldn't have friends who were upstanding in society. The only friends he had were the other no good people in his life that everybody else rejected. And so his guest list is full of sinners. One after the other and after the other and he's invited all of them to his house and who is the guest of honor? Jesus. Can you imagine that scene? A big house with a large table seated very close to the floor and on these cushions that are on the floor, reclining on them and on the table are all of these tax collectors and all of these prostitutes and all of these other sinners and outcasts of society. And there in the middle of all of that is Jesus. Can you picture that? You see, Jesus is sitting and feasting and drinking and laughing and telling stories and listening to stories and laughing and enjoying himself in the middle of a group of sinners. Can you people believe that? How disgusting is that? We're going to get to that in just a minute. But Jesus feasts with sinners. And Luke here says that this is a great feast. This must have been some party. Remember, we just need an excuse for a party. Levi has one. And so he's invited his whole world, all the people he knows, all the people that he would call friends, he's brought them over to talk about why he's turned around and why he's following this man. And he wants all of his friends to meet this man he's left everything for. And so he has a party, a party that probably lasts all night. You know, we in the U.S., our, our meals are very short. How long is dinner for all, all of us? How long, do, how, how long does dinner take? How many minutes? 45. 40, wow, 45. Anybody got five? Anybody got five, 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 ten? Five. <laughs> in the first service, I think the, the slowest, well, five is a record, 15 minutes on average. Anybody half hour? Half hour dinners? Dinners? Yeah, there's a couple maybe. Maybe. Hour? Who likes dinner for an hour? No, one. Two, three, okay, there you go, four, I see you. <clears throat> on average, when you go to the restaurant, guess how much time on average we spend eating out? 60 to 90 minutes. And that's what the restaurants assume, and that's how they do reservations, 60 to 90 minutes. Perhaps at a fancy restaurant, you'll get to 90 minutes to two hours. That's not the way it is in the rest of the world. I lived, when I lived in Germany, when I got invited to dinner, I wasn't ready for the time commitment. <laughs> My first dinner out, two and a half hours. And they're not like they're here. The, the waiter doesn't come on a, on a dime like all the time. You got to call them and say, hey, we're ready to order. Get over here. You got to like use a cattle prod and bring them over. And then you put your order in and then you got to wait and wait. I mean, they're like killing the fatted calf for in real life and cooking it fresh for you because it takes like two hours for you to get the food. And then you sit and you talk and you talk and you're like, I don't have any more stories left. And they're still talking. Two and a half hours to three hours, perhaps more. <clears throat> I went to Spain on a business trip and I called a local restaurant for a reservation for seven o'clock. And you know what they told me? Sir, we don't open till 9 p.m. 9 p.m., I, I go to bed. 
<laughs> go to bed at 9 p.m. I went to dinner at 9. I didn't get home till after midnight to my hotel at mid- after midnight. People spend time talking. Imagine that. They spend time fellowshipping. They spend time telling stories. They spend time getting to know each other. They spend time eating and drinking and laughing and having a good time for three hours. When's the last time we had a three-hour meal? That's what it was like for Levi and for Jesus. This party probably happened late in the evening and probably went all night. And what were they doing? They were eating and drinking and laughing and telling stories and telling jokes. Do you get that kind of a picture when you think of Jesus? That Jesus is telling jokes? That Jesus gets to laugh? That Jesus is eating and drinking and having a grand old time at a party surrounded by sinners? That's not usually the picture we have of Jesus. But let me tell you, that's the Jesus we serve. This is a Jesus who knows how to have a good time because he's always eating. He is always eating. Shared meals weren't just a polite thing to do. It was a way to to build community. You see, when you shared a meal with someone, you're validating the people you're sitting with. You're endorsing that kind of lifestyle or that kind of people or that kind of behavior. So when you share a meal with someone in other parts of the world, what you're saying is that by sitting here, eating this meal together and spending time with them, you are symbolically identifying with them. And for Jesus here in Matthew's house, as he's surrounded by sinners, that's exactly what he's doing. In fact, that's exactly the message he's sending, and that's what we're going to look at next. But he's identifying with these sinners. He's identifying with these tax collectors. He is identifying himself symbolically by saying, as I eat with you, I'm identifying with you. Here's Jesus feasting with sinners. Why? Because Levi invited all of his friends to meet Jesus. Good news is for sharing. And that's what Levi did. Went out of his way to throw a great party, a great feast, full of food and drink so that all of his friends could meet Jesus. Have you shared your good news? We share all of our vacation pictures and our kids and our grandkids' stories, but have you told them the greatest story ever? Have you shared the good news of Jesus Christ, that God in heaven came down and intercepted your life and mine, that he transformed us and changed us and made us so completely different that we aren't the same person we once used to be. Have we shared the good news that God invaded our space? If you haven't, perhaps this season is a great season to start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with those that God has placed in your sphere of influence. And that brings me to my third point that we learn about Jesus, and that is that Jesus fulfills his mission at the table. Verse number 30 says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? You see, while this party's going on inside the house, outside the house, there's a bunch of religious leaders who are taking exception to the fact that Jesus is identifying himself With these sinners. I mean, they are aghast at the fact that Jesus is doing this. You see, Pharisees were the special group of people who believed that they needed to live according to the letter of God's law. 
And in order to do that, they added a whole bunch of other laws to, to surround themselves with so that they could make sure they didn't step one inch out of God's revealed law. And they thought that if you hung out with dirty people, that made you dirty. And if you stopped hanging out with dirty people, that you could keep yourself clean and holy. That's called holiness by segregation. They thought holiness was this delicate thing that you could lose or break. They looked at holiness like a pair of white sneakers that if you weren't careful where you stepped, you could get them dirty. That's how they looked at holiness. And so as far as they were concerned, for Jesus to be sitting with these sinners, I mean, it's blowing their mind. How can Jesus be having a blast eating with sinners and tax collectors? Doesn't Jesus know that he's the son of God? Doesn't Jesus know that he's proclaiming himself the Messiah? How can the Messiah eat and drink with sinners? And the Pharisees, as far as they're concerned, they're just gnashing their teeth thinking how dirty Jesus is getting by associating with all of these filthy, unclean sinners. But don't you love that about Jesus? He's always rewriting the script. If you look back up in your Bibles to verse number 12, you see another story. And in that story, Jesus is confronted by a man with leprosy. Leprosy is we call Hansen's disease. But in the Old Testament, if somebody had leprosy, you were outcast, you were, you were unclean. And if you ever saw a leprous man on the street, that man had to cover his mouth and say, unclean, unclean, stay away, stay away. Why? Because if you touched him, you became unclean. And you couldn't have any worship or relationship with God until you went through some ritual washings and, and ceremonies. But you know, in that story up in verse number 12, you know what Jesus does? He does the unthinkable. He touches the man with leprosy. That doesn't happen! But Jesus touched him, and you know what happened when he touched him? He was healed. And on top of that, Jesus wasn't unclean. Why? You see, while all these Pharisees were so afraid that the sin might contaminate them if they got into contact with sin, when you get Jesus, it, Jesus is not contaminated with sin. Jesus consumes sin. Friends, you never have to worry about the holiness of Jesus. Jesus isn't so delicate that you can, you can break him or his holiness gets wasted. He consumes sin. He is a holy, living fire who's coming to save us and to consume our sin. Aren't you glad for that kind of Jesus? Amen. That's worth clapping. You can clap. And so here's Jesus sitting in a room full of sinners. And the Pharisees are thinking, I can't believe he's getting dirty and unclean by mixing with all of these people. You know what Jesus is thinking? He's giddy with excitement, thinking how clean all of these people are going to be when he's done with them. Think of the mindset difference between the Pharisee and Jesus. One so consumed with fear of getting themselves dirty in Jesus, saying, I'm so glad that these people are here. I'm so glad they get to see me and hear from me. So excited to see what God is going to do with them. That's the mindset difference when you know Jesus. And here Jesus is. He's fulfilling his mission at the table, and the Pharisees are outside grumbling to his disciples, and Jesus has an amazing answer to them in verse number 31. <clears throat> and Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What's his point? His point to the Pharisees is very simple. Who do you expect me to hang out with? 
the sick or the healthy? You know, I imagine if, if, if Luke had written more, perhaps Jesus had said more, he would have said something like this. You Pharisees, you have no idea who I am. You have no idea why I've come. I've come for the tax collector. I've come for the prostitute. I've come for the sinner. I found one of these sitting at the tax booth and I called him to follow me and he's followed me. I've come for those kind of people. I didn't come to for the people who think they're okay. I didn't come for the righteous and the healthy. I came for the sinners who know they're sinners to call them to repentance. That's who Jesus came for. When do you go see a doctor? Not talking about your annual physical. When do you go see a doctor? When you're sick. If you go to the doctor for an appointment and he asks or she asks you, well, what are you here for? Oh, nothing. I'm just here for a checkup just because, you know, I just wanted to make sure everything's okay. What's that doctor going to tell you? Get out of here. I got an office full of people who need to see me. Come back when you're sick. I think that's what they'd say. You see, these Pharisees didn't think they were sick. They didn't think they needed saving. They thought they had it all right with God. They thought that everything they were doing made them a-okay with God. And so they were blind to the fact that they were truly sick. But here's Levi. Levi has invited a house full of tax collectors and sinners, people who are sick and know it. And there in the midst of that party is the great physician. The great physician who transformed Levi's life is able to transform the lives of all of those people sitting around that table that day. Can you imagine what Jesus came to do? He came to seek and to save the lost. And there at that party, that's exactly what he was doing. Levi's house full of sick people getting to meet Jesus, getting to be transformed because of Jesus and what he came to do. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, can I say we are so glad you're here. But may I introduce Jesus to you. Jesus came from heaven to earth because he loved you and he loved me. He came for the purpose not to live and make money and be famous. He came to die. He came to hang on a cross suspended by three nails, not because of anything he did wrong, but because of what you and I did wrong. And he died a cruel death because we couldn't pay that penalty. We couldn't satisfy the anger of a righteous God against sin, but Jesus paid it all on that cross. As he bled out of every pore in his body, at the very end of it, he said, it is finished. All of God's wrath for all time against sin finished on the cross, and that is available for you. If you are here running away from God, just know that you cannot run far enough to outrun God. You cannot sin so bad and so deep that God can't, God's grace can't reach you. You're not so rotten that God's love can't cover your sin. Know that if God can save Levi, God can save you. That God died on the cross for you. And for you, it's very simple. If God is tugging at your heart, it starts by saying, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. I turn away. Like Levi turned away, I turn away from my sin. I say, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. And would you come into my life? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you would do that today, you can know Jesus and the transforming power of the great physician coming into your life and saving you and healing you and giving you a peace and a, and a purpose and a comfort that you've never known before. But if that is you, Tell someone. 
Tell everyone. Because good news is for... If you are a child of God, I'm so thankful for you. But may I say two things to you? Number one, please don't be like a Pharisee. Please don't look down your holy noses at people who are still sinners. It should not shock us that sinners sin. Dead people don't know they're dead because they are dead. It takes life and the presence of light to show a dead person that they need something. Friends, that's you. Can I just ask to look at the people in your sphere of influence? Who do you hang out with? Are all the people you hang out with people who also love Jesus? If that's true, can I just gently say that perhaps we don't love enough people? You see, Jesus came for sinners. He eats with sinners. And if all of us are in our holy huddles and all we are is wrapping ourselves around with people who already know Jesus, then we've missed the point of what Jesus came to do. He came for sinners and he saved you to share the good news not with people who already know him, but with people who don't. So don't look down your holy noses at people and say, oh, can't believe that. Can I just gently remind you, you were one of them too. So was I. If God can save a wretch like me, God can save anyone. And that's true for you. Let's not be a Pharisee. Let's remember that we were sinners that are saved by the grace of God. Amen? But may I secondly just challenge us. We are four weeks away from Easter, as Jonathan reminded us. Four weeks is not a long time. But as we journey through this sermon series, the challenge for all of us is to do what Levi did and to do what Jesus did, to join Jesus on mission by opening up our hearts, by opening up our hands, and opening up our homes, and inviting those who don't know Jesus to come and have a meal with you. It's not exactly for the purpose of ramming Jesus down their throat. Please, that is not the purpose. Please don't do that. It's to build a bridge, to build a relationship. It's to build intimacy and trust so that if the Lord brings the conversation around to Jesus, you can share the gospel. You don't have to plan anything fancy or elaborate. You don't have to plan everything to the nth degree. It can be takeout. It's okay. But are you willing and available to open your home, to open your heart, to open your hand? And to see what God might do with you if you were to do what Levi did. That is, invite those who don't know Jesus Christ. Those in your sphere of influence, perhaps at your neighborhood, perhaps at your workplace, perhaps at school, to invite them over for a meal. And if that's a little scary for you, perhaps do a Matthew party. A Matthew party is where you invite people from your small group or perhaps from this church, people who are strong Christians, and invite those who don't know Jesus so that you can mingle. That's what Levi did. Levi invited Jesus and his disciples and all of his sinner friends, and they talked. And if the conversation happens to come around to Jesus, take the opportunity to share the good news because good news is for sharing. Friends, I hope and pray 
in the four weeks that we have till Easter, that you and I might find ourselves available to be God's hands and feet, to share a meal with, with, with people who don't know Jesus. But let me close with one final thought. Can you imagine standing outside of Levi's house that day? As that party let out late in the night, and all of these sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes are leaving, and they're shaking Jesus' hands, they're probably hugging him, they're laughing, they're crying, and they're leaving, and you're standing outside his house, and you interrupt one of them and say, hey, hey, how did you get in on this dinner with Jesus? You know what they'd say? I got in because Levi invited me. I got in because Levi invited me. And I couldn't help but think that one day in the future, we're going to stand in heaven. And we're going to be surrounded by the glory of heaven and the beauty of of what God is preparing. We're going to be overcome and captivated by the beauty and the grandeur of Jesus Christ. And we're going to bump into people. And we're going to probably say, wow, it's amazing, isn't it? How did you get here? And I hope a few of them will say, I got here because of Jesus. And I met Jesus because of you. I hope a few of them will say that about me. I got here because of Jesus. But I met Jesus because of you. Father, may that be our prayer. That you have saved us. That you have redeemed us. That you have come from heaven to earth because you loved us so much. You didn't want us to go to hell. You didn't want us separated from you. You didn't want us wallowing in our sin and our misery and our despair. But you came to make a way through your sacrifice so that those who believe on you might have eternal life, might have the hope that one day we will stand with you forever, worshiping you, glorifying you. What wonderful news that is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And I was one of those. But since good news is for sharing, may we be willing to be available willing to open our hearts and our homes to invite people who don't know you so that we might be able to share the good news that God is good and his mercy endures forever and that on the cross he displayed the greatest act of love ever and it transformed our life. Help us to do that. Help us to introduce people to you help us and challenge us and continue to convict us. And Father, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, may today be the day of their salvation as they come to know you by faith. And we'll thank you for all that you have done and all that you're going to do. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.